Prevent Coalition welcomes you to our new podcast. We're sharing stories and strategies to help coalitions and organizations reach their full potential. Follow along at preventcoalition.org. Welcome, everybody, to episode two of the Prevent Podcast. My name's Jesse. My name's Christopher. And we're your host. Today, we're going to be talking about advocacy. And right now, at the time of this recording, we're currently in the middle of legislative session here in Washington State. And so advocacy, I feel like, is a very relevant topic. Um, And so I'm super excited that we get to talk to you about it today. Every day, new policies are being introduced. So we really want to come to you with some energy and motivation to get you inspired to get involved and educate your legislators on things you're passionate about. Prevent our coalition way back in 2003. We actually started as a drug-free communities coalition grant recipient. And DFC coalitions are required to do some sort of policy work. So from our very core in the beginning, we've always been involved with policy, educating our local decision makers and state decision makers. And today our current grant funding allows us to continue that. And Christopher and I are really excited to be able to uh, record this episode and share a little bit about the advocacy work that Prevent is currently doing and has done, as well as share a success story that we've had and our advocacy adventure during this legislative session. Our tagline of our coalition is connection is the best prevention. And we really believe that by connecting with people and building relationships, that's how we can prevent youth substance misuse. The same is true with legislators. Our first topic for the day is how do we connect with legislators? How do we build effective relationships that are lasting and allow us to get in the door? I have five tips that I think we can talk about. Jesse and I are going to kind of ping pong back and forth and fill in the gaps. One of the things we do at Prevent is we check in with legislators outside of legislative session, simply sending an email and asking, hey, what are some of your priorities this upcoming year? What are you working on? And is there any way we can be involved? Do you need help doing some research, giving you data? Do you need youth to testify for a bill you want to introduce at the next session? Sometimes this is something that gets overlooked. We get really excited about advocacy during legislative session. Bills are dropping. You can testify in hearings. You can see the governor sign the bill that you advocated for. It's really exciting. But the real work starts outside of legislative session and building those relationships. And sometimes it's an email and sometimes it's a coffee meeting where you meet with them and Tell them a little bit about what your coalition's doing, um, because you'd be surprised how often your action plan and their legislative agenda overlap. 
And when you find those places, you can find the areas that you can partner. And I think it's really important to remember when building a relationship, especially when you're starting from ground zero and you have no previous relationship um, with that legislator or their office, is to make sure that you don't go into the meeting with just a bunch of asks for them to complete for you. It's always best to see what you can do to help them first. It's kind of, and especially in politics, right? It's like, you scratch their back, they'll scratch yours. And that doesn't mean to do anything that you're not supposed to do. But there's a lot of ways in which you as a coordinator or a community activist can help them and the work that they're doing in order to build that relationship. And then when you do need something, whether it's a guest speaker or you need to have a meeting with them during legislative session to talk about a bill, you have already built and established that relationship and they're going to want to help you. It kind of reminds me of what we learn in coalition academies. They call it WIFM, which is an acronym for what's in it for me. We do that with our coalition members to make sure that people feel invested, they feel engaged, they feel important. There's a reason for them to get involved. And I believe there's an art to doing that also with legislators. Why should they listen to us when they're so busy? They have thousands of constituents. Why should they schedule a meeting with us? What's in it for them? That's a perfect transition into our second tip. Get your legislators and community leaders, whether it's the mayor, city council, get those decision makers on your coalition distribution list or on your coalition newsletter. Because even when we meet with them outside of session to have coffee or send an email or do a Zoom check-in now that we're in COVID, um, and even when you meet with them in Olympia during legislative session, the year is long and they meet so many people. And so they can only retain so much information. But if they're getting a monthly email from you with updates about what the coalition's doing, you're constantly reminding them who you are and the work that you're doing and how you potentially partner. You might go nine months of sending them updates and they're receiving them, but you don't hear anything back. But you might send another update that says, hey, the drug take back's coming up. Um, next month. And that might be something that's important to them for their legislative agenda and something that they want to be a part of. And then it's a way for you to engage. But if they weren't on that distribution list, they might not ever hear about it. Legislators in Washington, at least, get hundreds of emails per day. So it's totally possible that they might not be reading every single newsletter we send. But I love that you pointed out if they're continuing to see our name come up, we're not just total strangers when we do have an ask that we want them to listen to us. It's a warm sort of reception because they're, they've already heard our name, they see our branding, they remember our logo. And it could even be as simple as sending them an email saying, hey, can I subscribe you to our monthly newsletter? We met last week and I'd love to get you on our list. We've got some great news to share every month about good things happening in our community and we want you to know about them. It's a great way to, to start building that relationship. And something to keep in mind as well is that most of these key leaders that we're talking about, um, especially state legislators, they have their own 
uh, mailing lists and distribution lists where they send updates to constituents about their legislative priorities, the bills that they're sponsoring. And so I would recommend to subscribe to their list as well. You can see what their priorities are. And if you see a way that you can partner, you can reach out and say, hey, I saw on your recent update that you know, you're co-sponsoring this bill. Our coalition is supporting this bill. Um, and we'd love to know how we can help you um, get this to the governor's desk. Another way that we have supported our legislators is helping them anytime they have town hall events. A lot of legislators in Washington state do like once a year, they do a local town hall where they come back to their home area and basically have a listening forum for anyone's allowed to come and share their ideas, their feedback, things they're passionate about. And oftentimes legislators want help setting these up. They could use your assistance promoting the event, or maybe they want you to come there and speak and represent a prevention voice and an education voice at the town hall. So I think anytime you notice a legislator is gonna have a town hall event, email them right away and say, hey, how can I help you make this a success? If you don't already have a connection with a legislator, that can be one way to start building one. And there's also benefits just for you as a coalition coordinator when you do that, because you have now opened the door to opportunities for members of your coalition and youth in your coalition to have a platform to engage with their representatives. All the people we want to come to our coalition meetings, they're probably also at those town hall events and they might not know we exist. And so if we go to those events and if we stand up and say, I represent XYZ Coalition, and this is one thing I want you all to know, it just kind of doubles as like a recruitment opportunity too. It's, it's important to mention, and this transitions us into tip number four, just like you attend their events, invite them to attend your events. Those of you that have CPWI funding are required to have a key leader event, so you're probably inviting them to those, but you can invite them to more than just a key leader event. If you have an opportunity to invite them to a meeting, to allow them to speak on a bill that they sponsored that was relevant to the work that your coalition's doing or an initiative that they're behind, um, let them do it because the benefits are twofold. One, you're going to get them engaged with your coalition and make them feel a part of your coalition. And two, when you send out a coalition agenda that says that you have an elected representative coming in as a guest speaker, you'll probably get more community engagement at the same time. One example of our coalition doing this is every year we invite a representative to a training that we deliver to youth. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later today, but just getting a guest speaker at our events, people will show up as a guest speaker and then they'll be excited about what you're doing. They'll hear from your community members and they'll want to come back. So going into number five, our fifth tip is to leave a good impression with legislators. Whether or not you and your policymaker are in agreement or in alignment with certain policies or ideas, 
it's so important to still be positive and still be connecting. You can express your concerns while still being relationship oriented. You can still say, this is something that is gravely concerning to me while making sure you leave that meeting and they know that you are an ally in prevention and that they can come to you for future ideas and future research. Politics is divisive and we're in a hyper-partisan environment right now as a country and it can really feel like you're on one side or you're on the other. One of the main reasons I love working in prevention and I've mentioned this in previous episodes is that prevention is inclusive. Prevention issues are not partisan. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, what your political beliefs are, in order to partner in prevention, you have to agree on just one thing. Um, And people won't always agree with you um, or agree with us um, from the prevention prevention perspective because there's other things that go into their decision-making. But even if they agree with you on one issue at one point in time, that is an opportunity to partner. That is an opportunity to build that relationship. Um, And I think as coalition coordinators and prevention professionals, it's our duty to look out for those opportunities and when they arise to partner with um, the people who are willing to partner with us in order to create a better and safer environment for our youth. It's important for us as prevention professionals to remind ourselves that we have to be careful um, with the language that we choose to use. It's very easy for us to all get painted with a brush that says, just anti-drugs or anti-marijuana, reefer madness, logic, propaganda. And I know that's not the perspective that any of us actually hold, but I think we need to be really cognizant that though that people can easily perceive us as that. And so just like we want to be inclusive, we need to lead by example, right? Um, be willing to partner with marijuana retailers who want to engage with us on prevention related topics. Um, partner with legislators that you might not normally agree with, but you agree with on one specific bill to show that, you know, you can work with anybody in order to get the job done. Jesse, you mentioned earlier bringing Representative Paul Harris to one of our events. Now that we have a, a relationship built, how do you go and prepare youth to testify or to to meet with a legislator. The event that Christopher is alluding to is our annual youth advocacy training that we host for youth in the in our region, which is Southwest Washington. Normally, it's an in-person event. Uh, we host it at a local high school. Youth from all over the region attend, and it is an all-day advocacy training. We take them through the basics, starting with the I'm just a bill video, how a bill becomes a law, or walking them through how to locate who their legislators are, giving them the basic foundations, basically a a template for how to build an advocacy speech that they can use, whether they're advocating at a federal, state, uh, local level, or even if the skills that we're teaching them in this training, they can use to advocate for themselves when they're talking to their parents or when they're in school. So there's really universal tools that we're giving them. And then we give them opportunities to practice building those speeches. And the best part of the day, always the highlight, is at the very end, we always have a guest speaker come in and it's 
Paul Harris, um, one of their actual representatives comes in and he gives them a little bit of an insight about how things are currently working in Olympia. And then there's a Q and A session where the youth are able to engage with him. When representative Harris comes in, he gives them his undivided attention. He speaks real to them, which is something that youth really appreciate. He doesn't talk down to them or he doesn't try to um, make things sound all perfect. A lot of the feedback we've received from youth is that they appreciate how honest he is when he's speaking about how things are going in Olympia. He has such a talent for doing that. It's especially impressive because the youth do not hold back at all. They ask him some really tough questions that just come out of the blue and he is so great at validating them and giving them the realities of what it's like being a legislator, giving them sort of a an inside scoop on his day-to-day activities and what kinds of things he takes into consideration when making policy decisions. Our training is youth-led. All of the workshops that the youth are engaging in throughout the day are led by other youth and young adults that were in the advocacy training just a couple of years prior and now they're taking their experiences and sharing them. It's so powerful to see a youth start out by simply attending the youth advocacy training and then going up to Prevention Policy Day with us in Olympia and advocating there, speaking at the rally, uh, speaking with their legislators, meeting with the governor, and then coming back the next year and sharing those experiences, what they learned with more youth and just kind of continuing to build capacity and build sustainability for this program. That's what's really unique about this event is that the youth are saying, this is what we need. And I think this is the way we should deliver that to our peers. Oftentimes when we talk about some of these events, they sound overwhelming to people because they're like, we're not there yet. I don't have a youth who can lead this training. Do you have any insight on how we got there? Was it always youth-led? It wasn't. You have to build capacity. Um, When you think of how prevention works, right? How a coalition works, you have to have capacity before you can start doing actual work. You're going to have to pull the leadership skills out of the youth and show them and give them the tools needed to be able to lead. And so what that means is in the beginning, you as a coordinator or the adults in your coalition are going to have to do a lot of the work up front. Um, so what Pre- Prevent did in the first year is we contracted with an outside organization that had the experience and the tools necessary to teach youth advocacy. And they did, and it was fun and it was great. We had a bunch of youth that received that training. I was one of them um, <laughs> that was at that first youth advocacy training as a young adult. We took youth from that training and we went up to Olympia And we participated in Prevention Policy Day, advocating for Tobacco 21, meeting with legislators. And then the coalition at the time selected select few youth. They asked them if they'd be willing to, you know, take on the task of facilitating and leading that advocacy training that they had attended the year before. And uh, we said yes. I was, like I said, I was one of those youth that was uh, involved in the first year. We had a great template from the organization that 
led the training for us and we adapted it slightly. It was a great success that year. And then the next year, they, we picked new youth to lead it who had attended the year before and so on and so forth. Every year we do have different facilitators, different youth say they want to do it. And each of them brings a new flavor to the facilitation. Each of them has a different leadership style. And it's really exciting to see we're teaching almost the same topic every year, just slightly differently. And it's really cool to see the different gifts people bring to this training and that it's really morphed into something that the community has ownership in and they look forward to every year. I know it can be very hard as a coordinator because now I'm sitting um, in the coordinator chair and doing the job myself and I struggle with this as well. But in order for this to be successful, you have to be okay with letting go of some of the control. Giving youth a lot of leeway to adapt the training how they see fit. I remember when I was the youth doing it, that was something that we, we wanted. We wanted to be able to pick the topics that we were going to use for the training. And we wanted to have full control over um, the facilitation of it and who was leading what activity, all the way from like the agenda, everything. And thinking back now, I uh, apologize to the coordinators who had to deal with me as a youth doing that because I'm sure it wasn't easy. It's easy for us as coordinators to just, you know, want to kind of control everything, make sure everything's organized and ready to go. And you still need to do that to an extent, right? To make sure that the youth have the tools necessary to be successful. But you also have to be okay with giving up some of that control in letting youth actually lead the training um, not just having them read the script that you wrote. Because when youth have that ownership over it, that's where you're going to get real youth-led trainings. And that's where you're going to see more youth stepping up and wanting to do it, and wanting to have those same opportunities. I remember one of the years I was coordinating the event, and there was two youth leaders who had just different styles than me. I tend to script out everything I say. And sometimes I make a script and then I don't even look at it. It's just part of my prep and my ritual of facilitation. And these leaders were total opposite. They didn't need a script. They didn't even need bullet points. And that terrified me. I was so scared. I was like, they don't have a script. I don't know what they're going to say on this day. And we have 70 people registered. But it was incredible. And they did such a good job. When we give youth leadership positions, we need to let them be authentically leaders. And, and that means sometimes surrendering to their style, letting them fly, I guess, letting them shine, even if it's not the way we would do something. We've talked a little bit about how we prepare youth to testify, how we get them ready and equipped to meet with legislators. We've mentioned that it's like a peer-led effort in our region, and we, we hired an adult expert to do it at first. I think this would be a great time to transition to some examples of what we've done at Prevent in the past, even maybe some examples we've done this legislative session one thing that's coming to mind is when we worked with our local Clark County Council. This was a couple of years ago when Clark County Council was reviewing 
their moratorium on retail marijuana shops um, in the unincorporated area of the county. They had had one um, since marijuana was legalized. Clark County had always had a moratorium. It was a hot topic issue in the county. The county council scheduled a hearing where they were going to discuss whether or not they wanted to lift the moratorium. Uh, when they scheduled that hearing, they invited people from the health department to come and testify about their perspective on lifting the moratorium. And then they reached out to the sheriff's office and the drug task force and asked them to come and give their perspective. When they reached out to the sheriff's office, the sheriff's office called prevent. The sheriff's office knew that if there was going to be a hearing on lifting the moratorium in Clark County, that prevent needed to be there to speak on behalf of youth voices. I think that's a really good example of what good relationship building can do um, for you and your coalition when it comes to advocacy. The work that the coordinators of PREVENT had done to establish that relationship with the sheriff's office uh, goes back years and years and years. We didn't present at that hearing because the council didn't invite us, but the sheriff's office asked us for data uh, related to youth use, youth prevention, they wanted to know what kind of data we had to support um, their position. And so it was a, a great partnership and it came because of years and years and years of relationship building. And I think it's also helpful that we were just there. We mobilized our community and there was like eight different coalitions at that event and having such a big presence speaks volumes even when we're, we ourselves are not allowed to speak at a hearing. Sometimes when we're engaging with advocacy, we do have to pick our battles. So I remember at this specific county hearing, there was a few hearings and then they announced that they were going to vote. At that time, it was pretty clear to the public that they were going to be lifting the marijuana moratorium. We ended up sending an email on behalf of the whole coalition. And instead of saying, we really don't want you to, to pass this legislation, we want, we want to maintain the moratorium, we knew that that wouldn't be effective because they had already made up their minds. So instead, what we did was we shared, I think, three or four different things to consider. And we phrased it as, if you lift the moratorium, here are some ways you can build prevention into the new policy. Here are some ways you can protect youth even if you do lift the moratorium, and here's ways to do it that will help safeguard our community. And that email, we got a response immediately from the county councilors saying, thank you for this insight, we'll keep this in mind. That is sometimes even more effective than simply stating that, that something's gonna be ineffective, that you disagree with something. And we've done that even recently too. Did you wanna talk at all about some of the recent stuff we've done this current legislative session? Our coalition was really inspired to get involved with advocacy this legislative session. When we heard about House Bill 1019, which is the bill that would legalize marijuana home grows in Washington state, we obviously had some concerns uh, regarding youth access. We had a coalition staff meeting about it. We drafted some testimony that we were gonna give in the House Commerce and Gaming Committee. We outlined each of our concerns, went and Doug and got the prevention data to back up our concerns. After that hearing, there's all these people that are in favor of it passing. We're like, this bill has momentum. And so we were getting more and more concerned. Um, and so we took that draft testimony that we had written up 
condensed it down a little bit and put it into an email format. And we literally emailed every legislator in our region. We got a few responses. Thank you for providing your feedback, things like that. We did get a response um, from one of our local representatives offices that said, do you want to schedule a meeting to talk about this further? We said, sure, that sounds great. So the representative's office that reached out to us was uh, Rep Stonier from Vancouver. We looked it up and turns out she was a sponsor of House Bill 1019. We had to kind of take a step back for a second and say, okay, we're going into this meeting with a representative who has signed their name on as a sponsor of the bill. They're obviously in favor of it passing. Going into this meeting and basically just saying, don't pass marijuana home grows would not have been effective advocacy and it wouldn't have even been effective prevention education. We kind of had to reevaluate how we wanted to go about this. You know, we need to really prioritize relationship building in this meeting that we're going to have with her over just House Bill 1019. We still wanted to talk about it and express our concerns, um, but we didn't want that to take up the entirety of our 15 minute Zoom meeting with her. We came to that planning meeting with a bunch of things we want to talk about, and we actually nailed it down to just two, I think. We just want to address these two things, and I think that's an effective tip. We can unload all of our science on them, but what are they really going to need to hear? We kind of broke up this 15-minute meeting, um, and at first we wanted to introduce ourselves. Luckily, our coalition has partnered with Rep Stonier in the past, and so she had an understanding of who we were and where we were coming from. We gave some updates about what our coalition has been up to, and then we got into the nitty-gritty a little bit about the bill and some of the concerns that we had with it. I was really happy because we had a, an open conversation. Uh, we didn't see eye-to-eye -eye on every issue, but we were able to have that open conversation. We expressed some of our concerns about youth access and um, enforcement and oversight gaps that we saw in the bill. And Rep Stonier was able to bring her perspective in and share with us why she was supporting the bill. Um, and she saw it as a big equity issue. And that's something that we were able to understand as well. We made it clear we're not saying, we're not asking you to vote yes or no on the bill. There's some ways this bill could serve prevention interests better right? And serve our youth better and better protect our youth. She walked away saying, I would be open to some amendments to the bill. That was a success in our book. We've established um, more in terms of relationship building. And we have a sponsor of the bill who's saying they're willing to add amendments in, in order to make this bill safer for youth. I was really surprised when that happened. What this meeting reminded me of is how important it is to meet with people who have a different opinion or experience than you. Because the things she brought up about why she was a sponsor of the bill, I was like, I never thought of that. And we were really happy to find out that uh, House Bill 1019 died in the House of Representatives. It didn't get passed out of the Appropriations Committee but we know it will probably be dropped in future sessions. And so our advocacy on this is not over. After the legislative session ends, um, we're going to schedule those meetings uh, with our legislators, like we talked about in the beginning of the podcast. And something we can talk about is how can we make these bills or you know, House Bill 1019, if it's gonna drop again, the home grow bill, how can we put in prevention science into that bill before it ever even drops 
So then it's not an amendment that we're trying to pass during legislative session. It's already built into the bill. As a coalition, PREVENT, one of the services that we provide is technical assistance related to advocacy. And so if you are looking for ways to get your coalition more involved in advocacy and you would just like some technical assistance or to bounce some ideas off of somebody, reach out to us, email us. We'd be more than happy to be that person for you, try to help you with your advocacy work moving forward. I have definitely learned this year that there are so many more people out there willing to help than I realized. We now have a whole network of people across the state who are doing this type of advocacy work. So I really do encourage you to reach out to us. And if there is a time where it's not us, we can still connect you with another expert in the field who can, who can get you what you need. Thank you so much for joining us today and subscribing to our podcast. You can find all of our episodes online, on the Apple podcast app, on Google podcast now. We're finally approved and validated and we look forward to connecting with you next time. Bye.